All right. Welcome, everybody. We are excited to have you joining us today for our podcast as part of the SAM Education Committee Careers in Academic Medicine series. I am Sarah Krasaniak. I am the program director at Stanford University and really excited to be here with a great panel of guests today. And I'll let them introduce themselves. So, Doug, why don't you take us off as a co-host? Sure. I'm Doug Franzen. I'm one of the associate program directors at the University of Washington. Longtime listener, first-time co-host. Wonderful. Awesome. Well, yeah, happy to have you here as co-host. And we are joined today by two amazing physicians and educators who really represent that trajectory through the medical education spectrum. And we're excited to hear about their experience. So let me have our guests introduce themselves and maybe tell us who you are and describe your current title and the job that you currently have. Let me start with Luann. Um, hi, thanks so much for having me today. I am currently the Senior Associate Dean for Medical Education and Student Affairs at Virginia Co Commonwealth University in Richmond, Virginia. I've been in this role for about 18 months after recently having come from another institution. It's really been a great opportunity for me to expand some of my role from medical education. So currently I oversee medical education, everything related to the curriculum for medical students, as well as student affairs and financial aid. Hey, wonderful. And Rahul. Yeah, my name is Rahul Patwari. I am coming to you from Chicago, Illinois at Rush University. I've been here for 20 years in various different roles. I started off as a clerkship director and ultimately worked my way through the dean's office and landed where I am right now, which is associate dean for curriculum, where I oversee the four years of medical school. Wonderful. Well, thank you. Rahul, you made that sound like it was really simple. You just went directly from clerkship director to associate dean for curriculum. Surely there were maybe a few more steps in between there, or just it was directly from one to the other? Yeah, it was definitely bumpy. It was, there were a lot of steps in the way. And I think that, you know, I started off as a clerkship director, then I got involved in the fourth year, and we had a fourth year committee, which I joined and eventually started chairing. And from that, then started chairing other committees, and then eventually our big curriculum committee that oversees all of the curriculum. And that happened during an LCME visit, which required a lot of work. And then after that, I became the dean for the fourth year, then the clinical years. And in there, I think I was actually, you know, dean of associate dean or assistant dean of technology and innovation for like a year when we needed to, basically, whenever something needed to be fixed, they just gave it a title ask me, and asked me to do it. And I said, okay. And now I'm here when we had a curriculum renewal, which is where we needed a lot of guidance to kind of make sure that everything was done properly and, you know, everyone was coordinated. And so that's how I kind of jumped into this role. And so it's been of many years process with many steps and it was definitely not a straight line. Yeah. I mean, that is definitely sounds like a, a little bit of a circuitous route, but really taking advantage of some of the, the needs that your institution had. And, you know, to your point of recognizing the need and then having the title kind of come along with that and a role that, that came with that. Before I turn over to Luanne to tell us her trajectory, well, I'm curious if there was any strategy that you had 
to be the one when those opportunities arose to get into that position and, and have that title and have that formal role assigned to you, as opposed to, I think what a lot of us do is just continue to take on more and potentially informal and less recognized ways. Yeah, I wish I could say that I had a plan from the start to to land where I am, but I don't, you know, I think that as most emergency physicians, we tend to see a problem, fix a problem. But that's something that's actually, I think, well-received when there is an issue that's kind of been festering and you say, oh, I, I can tr try my hand at that. And then when you do and it works, then people actually recognize that. And you do that enough times, people say, all right, this is somebody that we can rely on to, to get things done. So I, I don't, I'm not going to say that I had a plan to, to get where I am, but it was the same strategy that perhaps most of us use in our daily clinical lives that kind of landed me here. All right, Luann, I'll turn it over to you. Tell us about your trajectory and sort of how you got to where you are now. Sure. I actually probably had a very non-traditional start in the academics. When I finished residency, I actually planned on practicing community emergency medicine. So I spent about four years in the community before having an existential crisis of what do I really want to be when I grow up? And really thought a lot about what that was. And I really had missed the team environment that was part of an academic emergency department. So at that point, I actually shifted to be clinical faculty at East Carolina University, where I had graduated from residency and had been a medical student as well. And my, my thought was that I really had an opportunity to get back to residents and help bridge the gap between what we typically do in an academic setting where we have all the resources available to us versus what happens in a community setting where we don't have a number of resources available in the middle of the night. So I really saw that as my niche role and how I could give back to the residency program and really hadn't actually envisioned a formal academic role. I too had probably a, a series of what I would call field promotions. The first one of those being, I'd taken on several smaller roles along the way. I'd done work with scheduling some of our residency conferences. I told the chair when he hired me, I said, I absolutely want no part of administration or research. Those are not things I have any interest in whatsoever. And then the residents were like, hey, we have this idea for some research projects. And so I'd gotten slowly more involved with things along the way until suddenly the clerkship director at that point in time became ill. And I got a phone call while I was on vacation from my department chair. And he's like, I need you to be the, um, the clerkship director starting tomorrow. We need you to do this. And I'm like, I'm out of the country. I'm in Italy right now. He's like, fine. As soon as you get back, we need you to do this job. And I realized how woefully unprepared I was for that role. I had no real education on how to be an educator other than just by virtue of being an emergency medicine physician. I was writing my own. This was before the era of emergency medicine MBME exams or even the SAEM test. And so I was writing my own test and I really, I recognized I was in over my head, but I really had a passion for it. And I loved working with the students. And at that point, I decided to go back and get my master's in adult education and somehow took a left turn along the way from all of those aspects where I said I wanted to do nothing administrative and research. And, and at that point in time, I became involved in curriculum council. I took on other responsibilities there. I became involved in the pre-clerkship courses, admissions committee, and really just grew through a variety of roles up into the point of landing in the dean's office. And I think much of that was really related to the fact of 
being there, being willing to solve problems and being engaged. And I think sometimes our schedules actually allow that a little bit better as well. We have the, we have some time, we are really focused on solutions and, and I think it naturally led to some of those other opportunities in the Dean's office. Yeah, that's excellent. You know, one thing that, that you said that really resonated with me is this idea that I think people who are high performing and successful and work well in teams just get kind of put into roles without the required development. And I, I think there's a, I sense a newer emphasis on faculty development and, and educating people how to be educators, because I think there is this expectation of you've gone through residency, therefore you know what it's like to be taught. So surely you can be a teacher. And I think that as medical education becomes more robust and you know more complex, we really need people who do have that training. And maybe we're throwing people in because it's a last minute position and, and there's a, a, an immediate need, but making sure that we're mentoring people in those roles, I think is, is really important. I don't know if, you know, now that both of you are in more senior roles, have you experienced that or reflecting back on your, on the roles that you've had in terms of the preparation or maybe now as you're mentoring other people, do you sense that, that need to prepare people in a different way than you were? Yeah, I would say that the, the higher up I go, it's less about teaching. It's less about all those things. And it's more about getting people to play nice with each other. And and that coordination, finding out what everybody wants, what everyone's goal is, and then aligning those topics. And sometimes it's about setting a vision that everyone else has to follow. But other times it's about what's everybody else want to do? And can we come to some common goal? And really, I would say the majority technically of this job, I think, is that it's getting everyone on the same page, happily on the same page. I think you're right. I think a lot of this is about, I mean, really what you're describing is leadership and communication styles. And and that's critically important to be able to bring people together. I also think that in the beginning, at least for me, peer mentoring, I didn't necessarily have people within my department to look towards who had been in those roles before. And so my colleague and close friend it was had landed in a very similarly surprising and in terms of time frame role as the program director. And so we did a tremendous amount of peer mentoring. I think that's really probably one of the points in time in, career, in my career when CDEM really became even more important. It was identifying your people and how they were going to support you in that process and were a sounding voice for when you were struggling and didn't know how to move things forward and could really offer you some of the insight and mentorship that wasn't at least available readily locally. Yeah, I think the, you know, CDEM has been a very valuable resource, I know, for both of you and, and myself as well. And that, you know, that networking is really super important for things like that. But I want to come back to something you said earlier, Luann. You know, you mentioned that initially you wanted no part of administration. And now you, I think you said you do everything that's curriculum and student affairs and <laughs> financial aid. That's a lot of stuff. Like, how did you learn to do all that stuff? What helped prepare you to sort of take on those different roles as you were coming up from clerkship director? 
I think probably a willingness to learn along the way and to listen to people who who knew who came before you. I mean, there was a lot of learning on the job. There are certainly a lot of times when I did not know what I was doing, but being able to reach out to those who had similar experiences, really depending upon that network of people to help answer some of those questions. And I think that's really probably one of the most exciting things about my job currently is the fact that I don't know everything and there's new opportunities and there's new programs that I haven't had the chance to have experiences with before. Certainly overseeing financial aid was one of those. I definitely was not prepared for probably managing a budget or the financial aid aspects of things. And so being able to identify what are the resources you need and who are those people who can help you in that journey and who are going to be willing to help you, I think is really incredibly important for that as well. It sounds like being an emergency physician is just great preparation for either of these roles. You have to get people to come together on the same page, right? We're going to admit to medicine. We're going to admit to surgery. That's it's a core skill set for us. <laughs> and then also being willing to admit what you don't know and get, get help from people who are perhaps more expert in a particular field. So really the answer is just be an emergency physician. <laughs> <laughs> Both of you seem pretty excited to talk about your jobs. Rahul, what do you what do you love most about what you do right now? There's a lot about it. And I think it's a lot what Luann said. It's it's you don't know what's coming next and you have to you get to continue to grow your own skill set. I think when I was early on in our in this, I remember when we were preparing for that first LCME visit, our dean at the time said his daughter was went to school to be a teacher. And he goes, you know, my daughter went to four years of college and graduate school to become a teacher. We as doctors just graduate medical school and they expect you to say, okay, now you're a teacher. Now you're an administrator. And we don't have we would, any training to do that. And, and it's not like that is an inherent skill set that you learn by practicing medicine. But I think we do have the ability to always be learning because we have that mindset of continuous education. And, and I think that's something that all of us really enjoys that, you know, we, we do continue to have to learn about all the new clinical things, but we also now have to learn all these other things. And, and I think a big thing that's been helpful for me have been the network that we had, whether it's at SAEM and CDEM, which have been, as you said, monumental for me, because not only the conferences that you go to where you learn so, so many great things, but then you make friends that you could just call up and talk to and say, Hey, look, how do you do this? And they share and and it and that you know in SAM and CDM they tend to be other emergency physicians so you have that common base to talk to to talk from and then go based on there but it doesn't have to just be emergency physician there's the AAMC conferences we have a local chapter called the Central Group on Educational Affairs I think every part of the country has one of those and those conferences also are amazing and you're going to have to read stuff too right you're going to have to learn like what you know find a paper on the best practices of of financial aid or running a budget and, and and figure out a lot of that stuff on the fly. Luann, same question to you. What's the favorite part of your current job right now? So I would say my favorite part of the job that got me engaged in this was really working with the students. And that's probably one of the things that I feel like the more administrative tasks you take on, unfortunately, you don't have as much direct student contact. But I, I think I really enjoy the idea of bringing people together and and to be able to come up with some of those collaborative solutions. It can be really challenging when some of those conversations are are challenging and when it's hard to get people on the same page, but I really do enjoy that, that idea of being able to work with a group of people to come up with collaborative solutions 
and really in ways that can optimize the, the learning experience for our students. And, and to think about what are the best practices? How do we put processes in place that really support the learner in a structured way? And, and that's really able to support making sure that, that our students are graduating to be the best physicians that they can possibly be. And I think, you know, part of this is sometimes reminding ourselves, what was the purpose of sort of doing this? And, and the purpose is really the same as being an emergency medicine physician. It's taking care of all of our patients and our populations and our communities and thinking intentionally how to do that. And really the, the very basis of that is how do we prepare our learners to become the next generation of great physicians who are going to continue to get back to their communities? Yeah, sounds like really cool opportunities for shaping that experience for, you know, the, the future of medicine, which is, it's huge. And I think coming into work every day, you know, it seems like there's a lot of a meaning behind that, that day-to-day that you do. I guess the, the follow-up question then would be, we're coming out of interview season. I've got all of my like PD questions. I asked all of my applicants. So I feel like I'm in that mode again, but for both of you, what do you find to be the biggest challenge in the job that you do right now? And if you've found a way to to deal with it, you can say that too. But what, what is the biggest challenge? I guess for me, it's the sheer amount of work to do because it doesn't have a boundary. There's no end to any of it. And determining where I'm going to carve out spaces for my life and for my kids and my wife and my work, clinical work. And, you know, there's a lot of things that have to be balanced. And so, but there's work here in the medical college that also has to get done. And so finding the way to set those limits and boundaries, I think has been perhaps one of the more challenging things. I feel that deep in my soul. Luann, what about for you? I think it's probably pretty similar. There are so many day-to-day burning fires that have to be dealt with. And yet when you think about it, those aren't really the most important things. They are not the strategic things. And how do you balance the day-to-day issues that really have to be dealt with in the immediacy with the fact that we really need to be more forward thinking and be able to think strategically about what are our outcomes and and how do we really are thinking that three to five year plan. And I think that is incredibly difficult for me to at least balance the here and now, you go into the office, you have a day planned. And then, then especially, I think probably a lot on the student affairs side, there are surprises that arise. And, and when you have a learner who's in crisis in front of you, you have to drop everything that you're do, doing to be able to manage that crisis in some way and to be able to support the student. And so there's lots of surprises. I mean, part of that is the, the part of the job that I love, but it does make it hard And I think that's one of the challenges for us as emergency medicine physicians is we are so focused sometimes on the problems and the solutions and the immediacy of it that sometimes being able to slow down and think about, okay, this is what we need today, this week, this month, but we really need to steer the course of the ship and we need to head in a different direction three to five years from now. And how do we get there And how do we balance the other demands with the ability to be able to change course and change direction? And it really is a lot of work to be able to also then convince everybody to get on board with you in terms of a new vision and and what what you need to change, especially when when folks are entrenched in doing things a a different way. And so I think balancing those is is really a challenge that can, when it works well, it's also probably the most fulfilling part of the job too. Yeah, you know, 
I love that because it reminds us that we need to have that big vision. I think so many times, you know, I, at least I feel like sometimes I'm playing whack-a-mole and there's just like one problem that comes up after another and one acute thing that I need to deal with. And if you're not careful, I think you can expend a lot of energy and time on those immediate things and lose sight of that bigger vision of, okay, I'm going to get through this, this part in the next hour, but like, what does the next year look like? So I think that's really important and great, great advice and great insight to, you know, you have to, you have to take care of the acute issues, but you can't lose yourself in it as well. So my next question for the two of you is, you know, I feel like now that I'm in the program director world and I talk to a lot of program directors, and I think one question that always comes up is, well, what's next? Like, what does that transition look like? And again, maybe it's being at this stage in my career, but I'm starting to hear more people say, I'd like to get into the dean's office, or I'd like to get into more of the med school leadership part. And so it sounds like both of you through a series of fortunate events, got to to your your place where you are. Maybe you're downplaying how deliberate you each were in getting where you are. But I'm wondering, for those people that are saying, my goal is to be in the dean's office, what are some, some things that they can do to prepare themselves to be a good candidate or to, to set themselves up for success when, when they do go to apply for a job like that? All right, I'll take a first stab at that. And and I think that's a great question. It's really hard. I would like to pretend that I was more intentional about it. And, and I think probably some ways and some, some conscious ways I was, but it really, for me, was about trying a lot of different things. So I wasn't sure exactly what I wanted to do. And so I probably did all of the things that people would tell you not to do early in your career where they say, don't say yes to too many things. I said yes to lots of things. Everything's from admissions committee to curriculum council. And that really helped me actually, and and a lot of residency things as well. When I was the clerkship director, I did all of the residency interviews as well because it, it it was a nice niche. It fit together. But along the way, I was able to, I think, figure out some of the aspects of the job that I really liked, things that you developed a passion for. I really loved the curriculum development side of it. And I think really being intentional about taking on leadership roles, it can be very easy to keep volunteering for, I'll do this project and I'll do that project. But you really need to think intentionally about how do I do something, do it incredibly well so that it's meaningful for the institution. And then that sets you up to take on the leadership role in the next way. And you need to be very intentional as to what those leadership roles are. I think in in terms of to get into the dean's office, it really is helpful to have been a course or a clerkship director of some required aspect of the curriculum. Certainly there's so many options. And when I first started, when it, the, the role seemed to be the clerkship director, now there's a ton of opportunities in the pre-clerkship phase, there's transition courses along the way, boot camps, all sorts of ways in which to get involved. But I think having that formalized role where you are the one responsible, you're responsible for grading, assessment, really thinking about curriculum design and delivery. You actually deal with students and and help them navigate whatever sort of speed bumps that they may be experiencing along the way really helps them set you up for all of the responsibilities, as well as we both sort of have, have mentioned and discussed our role within accreditation and LCME, which I think is a critical aspect. And so 
experiencing that in some type of way peripherally before you're the one ultimately responsible for it is incredibly helpful. And I started out my role in the dean's office at a point two FTE, and then those roles and responsibilities grew to a point four and a point six and a point eight. And so they really just sort of morphed over time um, after being able to take on additional roles and responsibilities. So I I think sort of thinking about what are the opportunities that you can that you can contribute to the ways in which you can contribute that are institutionally meaningful. It really, when you're successful with it, it sets up the opportunity to grow even more. I like that a lot. And I think that also resonates with me because there's this trajectory of saying yes in the career. I think that we've all had, you know, when you're brand new, you say yes to everything but then you hit like early mid career and understandably i think the messaging that people hear is often you need to start saying no which is really valuable but also what i hear you saying luann is you need to know when to say yes and you have to be able to say yes even if your bandwidth probably doesn't feel like you can take it on because you know that this is, you know, in your case or in your examples, like that institutional leadership position or that accreditation opportunity that you do need to say yes to. And so I think that's a really important takeaway is it's not about how much you say no to, but it's about what you say yes to and making sure that you are being thoughtful about that. And I think just to add on to that, probably the most pivotal and career changing aspect for me was something that I thought was a nuts idea to do. And, and it really involved research and as well as something that I really had no experience with. So walking, I had a new mentor uh, and a senior associate dean and, and they said, hey, we should put in one of these AMA grants. And I'm like, I have no research experience. I mean, my research experience were these very small couple of projects along the way. And, and they said, we should put in this million dollar grant. And I'm like, what are the chances? I mean, we're going to spend months working on this project and it's never going to come to fruition. And, and we build it around like patient safety, quality improvement, health system, science related topics. And I had no experience at all in my career, not anything that I had ever done except for doing some peer review projects. And I was like, I'm going to be so ill prepared for this. And then lo and behold, we got the grant. And it really was, it was amazingly career changing. It was terrifying. It was another one of those opportunities of I have no idea what I was actually doing in the process. And the first thing I said is, I'm going to need like some additional education in order to even figure out how to lay out the curriculum. And so to me, the exciting part of it was thinking about laying out the curriculum and not the content. But I could have easily walked away and said, no, this isn't something that I want to participate in because I have no interest and no time in this. And so thinking about how it aligns with your interest, even when the content area isn't exactly what you thought it would be, is really important. Wow, that's really cool. And what our listeners can't see is that Rahul had the book on health system science with Luann as an author editor on it, like sitting on his desk. So that's, that's wonderful. Rahul, tell, I think, you know, going back to the original question, which is what, you know, how can someone prepare themselves to, to move into this position? What would, what would you say? Yeah, I think that Luann said it all perfectly. I mean, I don't know that I have anything more to add to that other than what you said, you know, early in your career, you say yes to everything. So you start picking a niche and you start saying, all right, I kind of want to focus in that direction. But then you have to sometimes veer from that and 
and do those one-off things that seem like they, they're either important to the institution or it's just a surprise to say, let me just see what I could get gain out of this. And because that will take you down new pathways. And, and maybe that you go down a, a completely different path, or maybe you bring them together in a way that is, that is something new that other people haven't done. It, it's going to be work. It's going to be extra work a lot of times. But I think that that buys you the perspective and the knowledge to know where you want to go in the future is the more things that you try. These are, are great answers. It's good to hear. And it's, it's I know it's something I've talked even with residents and junior faculty about sort of nurturing versus pruning, right? You have to pick pick the direction and put resources into a thing, but sometimes you have to to shave off some of your duties so that you have more resources to put into a new thing. It's, it's always a tough balance. But I, I want to change directions for just a minute. We've talked a lot about, you know, how did you get to where you are today? And I'm just curious, like, what, what are next steps? Where do you go from here? Are you the dean of the whole medical school, the president of the university, congressman? I don't, I don't know. What's, what's the next step after where you are now? Well, you know, that is hard for me to think about having been in a new job for only 18 months. And so I think I would not want to be the dean of a medical school and all of the responsibilities associated with it. But I, th- I think the great thing about these jobs is regardless of whether you change a title, there really are, are endless opportunities to recreate your job, even within your existing position. And so right, you know, right now my focus is on an accreditation visit, but I'm already starting to think about beyond that. My goal is to actually, I want to think about what are the opportunities to restructure uh, our, our curriculum and what are the ways in which we have the opportunity to align more effectively with community engagement and really engage our students. So I don't think I've start, started thinking about any new roles down the fu- in the future, but really how to continue to morph my job in a way in which it allows me to continue to grow and do different things within the context of what I'm doing currently. Yeah, I think I would say the same thing. I I not thought about becoming the dean of the medical school because again, the further up you go, the less you do the things that you loved and brought you to where you were. What did they say? They they promote you to the level of your incompetence. I think I've well surpassed my incompetence by now. But I do love what I'm doing right now. I, and I have, you know, I have taken on some other roles outside of the medical school too, which I also enjoy and I and I really like that. Uh, but part of it, the fun is seeing where things go and having that open field in front of you that allows you to say, all right, I'm open to other things as well. Wonderful. Well, this is this is great. I feel newly inspired. I like seeing a lot of the parallels because I think the the issues that you have both brought up in terms of the challenges that you've faced to get to your role, the current challenges you're facing it feels validating that I think a lot of these challenges are things that people probably experience at all stages of their career and just in a different way or with a different set of learners in crisis or or people that, that are asking you to do things. So I think it reminds me that medical education is sort of a great equalizer and that there are all of these different places within medical education that you can explore, but that at the end of the day, there's there's a lot of similarities. So with that, I want to wrap us up. I want to thank Rahul and Luann for being here today, for sharing your experiences. It's been really great to hear where you've been, where you've come from, and what you're doing now. And I really enjoyed 
hearing some of the things that you've been working through and how you've, you've gotten to the points where you are now. So again, thank you for your time. Thank you to Doug as my co-host for being here today. And I look forward to seeing all of you at an SAM conference in the future. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you.